Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. So I think I'll start by saying that I'm not sure if you're ready for this episode. I don't think I was ready for this episode when I got to interview Jason for this conversation. Y'all, Jason grew up in the jungles of South America, so brace yourself for some wild stories you're about to hear from Jason's boyhood. The best part of this interview is that Jason shares the most specific, powerful ways that God provided for his family along the way. Parts of our conversation are shocking, heartbreaking, heartwarming, and even tragic. If you're looking to be encouraged, blown away, and challenged by the radical resilience and grit of Jason's family, this episode is for you. Just a heads up that there are slight moments of more graphic stories from Jason's experience among the tribes that may not be suitable for little kids, so listener discretion is advised. Our conversation kicks off quick in this episode, so settle in for some of the most wild stories of God's glory you may ever hear. I cannot wait for you all to meet Jason and hear his story because most likely you don't have anything in common with Jason, but I'm glad for people to get to meet you and hear your story. Thanks for being here today. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I definitely have had the opportunity to be involved in missions and reaching unreached people for a long time, uh, which has uh, really been a privilege. And um, my parents were I uh, just had a calling from God to go to the Amazon jungle, and uh, when they arrived in South America, um, they heard of an indigenous group there uh, that had not been reached. Um, in fact, another uh, organization had gone in and, and kind of did some uh, initial survey work and found out that this group was hostile, and um, and so they decided not to attempt to reach them. But my dad and some other guys said, yeah, we'll go. And um, so that was kind of the beginning of it. And um, I was actually born in Bogota uh, in Colombia and um, oh, wow, and grew up there. So, Wow. Okay. So you dropped us right into your boyhood. You're, you're born in Colombia. Your father had received this invitation to work among this tribe. And here you are. So tell us what that actually unfolded to be. Yeah, so my dad and some other guys went uh, into the jungle and found signs of these people and um, started to build a, a mud house. And uh, they got the walls about halfway up and the indigenous people attacked them. And They, they had, attacked them? Yep, they had uh, poison darts. So they were shooting with a blowgun. Their blowguns are about 10 feet long. <gasps> and then the poison darts are probably about two feet long. <laughs> a little cotton end on one end and then poison on the other end. Um, uh, when you say poison, what do you mean? They, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm shocked here. Uh, what did that mean? So the poison they would use, uh, they would get that from a root. Uh, it's called curari. And uh, it goes into your bloodstream, shuts down your respiratory system, and, and you don't live too long. As um, you do. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> your family was attacked. Great. Keep going. Yep. So, um, but my dad and the others found out that, uh, they had attacked right before dark. And so they actually radioed out. They said, Hey, we don't think we're going to make it through the night. Be praying for us. Um, the next morning they radioed in, they said, Hey, we're still alive. 
uh, ends up that they were able to shine a flashlight at the people uh, as they were sneaking up on their little mud house. And so the, my dad and the other guys were hiding behind the half-built mud wall, shine the light at them. The indigenous people would shoot their poison dart, run back into the jungle um, because they'd never seen a flashlight before. So right. the, the bright light, they had no idea what it was. Oh, so wow. that would scare them. They'd run back in and about half an hour later, they'd uh, try it again. So they did that all night. Oh my Nobody gosh. Nobody got hit and they got out uh, and decided to, you know, try a different uh, approach to making contact. So. I should think so. Um, I don't suppose anybody woke up today and thought they were going to be hearing a story like this. So I hope everyone's sitting. But um, all right. So you've come in contact with this hostile tribe. They have made several attempts to attack you. And was that just because you were new? You were new people, new faces? You were foreigners? Or what was the hostility there? Yeah, we really didn't know. Um we found out years later uh, when we were able to become friends with them that the they were actually stealing from local farmers and the local farmers were getting together and hunting them and they couldn't distinguish the difference between us and the farmers. So. Wow. Wow. So that was the connection. So then what did your family do next after, I mean, after kind of those first several attempts, did you keep, did you move away? Did you stay there? What happened? Yeah. So we did an aerial survey, found a lake in the middle, middle of the territory where these people roam. And uh, my dad and the other guys said, hey, let's build our house right in the middle of the lake. Um, on the water. On the water. And so <laughs> one of uh, the, uh, the guys said, I'm going to build my house on big st- styrofoam floats, you know, blocks. And so we had an airplane drop those out into the lake. Oh, and he built word. his on the styrofoam floats. But my dad didn't like that because it was kind of rocky a little bit. And if you got like, you know, too many people on one side of the house, the water would start coming up through the floor. I... <laughs> so my so my dad said, okay, I'm going to build mine on stilts. And so he went in the jungle, got some big poles, sharpened them on one end, put them on a boat. And so you have one guy driving the motor and right. two guys holding the pole, pole and they put it up and then they put it in the ground. They put some stirrups over the top one guy gets in the stirrups and jumps up and down oh my the other guy rocks it back and forth and you sink these poles about you know five ten feet into the ground into the mud at the bottom of the lake right and um i just remember as a kid being there every once in a while the boat would go too far and this pole would fall into the lake (gasps) and sink um so my job was to dive down tie a rope on it and they would pull (laughs) this log back up um, not your average, uh, childhood chore, I feel like. Yeah. So, um, but to me as a kid, I mean, ignorance is bliss. This oh, is, you totally. know, on where, you know, you could fish and catch bass and, but this lake was full of piranhas, electric eels, stingrays, anacondas, <laughs> alligators. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was my job. Dive down, tie the rope on. So we built ours on stilts. Our coworkers had theirs on styrofoam ra- uh, floats. And um, we actually lived out there for three years. Um, And my dad and the other guys would go over onto land and uh, the Indians would come out and uh, we would try to show that we wanted to be friends by giving them gifts and exchanging stuff uh, with them. What were some things uh, that you'd give them or you'd try to offer? Yeah, so they loved, um, you know, pots and pans, anything that kind of helped 
you know, they made their own clay pots, but if they could right. get an aluminum pot, that was much lighter. They're nomadic. So, you know, the longest they would stay in one spot is about two weeks. So uh, carrying aluminum pot was a lot easier yeah. uh, for them. Wow. So you would offer gifts, but it was, so you were out on this lake for three years, you're offering gifts. How long did it take for your family, do you feel like, to just build any kind of trust with this tribe uh, to where they were no longer hostile or, you know, trying to attack constantly? Yeah. So it took about a year and a half. And what happened was they, um, they would come out and they had the lead pellets from the farmers that had shot them. Oh, and, wow. Um, they'd been shot by these farmers. They'd been shot, yep, in the back or in the, you know, in the chest. And so we actually put medicine on that and um, helped it uh, heal. And uh, wow. they saw that the, our medicine helped them. And so that was really the turning point of uh, gaining their trust and building oh, that friendship wow. with them. So. I guess so. I mean, I'm trying to, I have so much that I have to learn from these stories, Jason, but I you know, I'm trying to think of with such a hostile relationship and just having, you know, an extension of healing from someone. I mean, that would be so powerful. I think it would speak volumes to know that you did not want to harm them. If anything, you were trying to help them. And then for them to see that at a physical level and then to be, you know, obviously introduced into a spiritual level. So then what did that look like as you would begin to build relationships with these people? Um, was there any kind of relating towards spiritual things or how did, what did that look like with this group? Yeah. So <clears throat> we didn't know any of their language. And so my right. dad and the others yeah. had been taught to write down, you know, uh, phonetically what you hear. Um, okay. And so they were trying to do that. They were trying to uh, learn their language, uh, study their culture. And, uh, but it took many, many years to, to be able to, learn it from zero, you know, nothing yeah. to go on. Cause if you point at a leaf and they say a word, you write it down, but you don't know if they said green or the type of, you know, tree oh, or the type right. of plant or, you know, you don't know. So it's a long process of just learning language and, well, um, God bless linguists. Good grief. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we actually moved into the jungle with them. Uh, we had our own house in the jungle, uh, other workers then came in. My dad actually transitioned into another role of becoming a pilot. And oh, okay. so some other workers continue on that, uh, that work with that, that group. Um, and took many, many years, about 34 years before there was a first believer. And then even then some people are like, ah, I don't really know if they truly understand or not, but, um, so they're still, wow. still working with them. So it's a lifetime long uh, work, uh, that type of work. So, Oh my gosh, Jason, I'm just reeling here. I mean, I, I think I keep laughing when you say these stories because first of all, our childhoods look nothing alike. And that's why I made that joke at the <laughs> beginning because I had a feeling that very few people might grow up like this. But, you know, you mentioned that even with the first sightings of hostility from this tribe, your family didn't leave. If anything, you were, you know, you were quote unquote going to put roots down. You were going to build a house and live among them. So what was it about your family's heart and, you know, you watching your parents make these decisions to stay, what do you feel like sustained in your mission there? I mean, that made you want to stay. Was there anything in, in your own heart? I mean, I, what was kind of the, the decision there? Yeah, I think, you know, my parents really felt a calling to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, regardless yeah. of, you know, whatever the cost might be. And yeah. um, so, uh, you know, growing up, watching them, 
you know, we lived out in the middle of the lake, but my dad would often go over to, you know, land and we had gift trails out in the jungle and, and, uh, What's my a mom gift trail? Would, well, a gift trail would be, you know, before we were friends with them, we would put trails out into the jungle and put gifts along that trail every so often trying oh, to show that, they, oh, okay. that we want to be friends with them. Right. But my dad would have to, sometimes we were out there alone. And so my mom would see my dad go into the jungle, not knowing if he'd ever be back. Um, oh my gosh. And, uh, you know, when we first, when they first started coming out, the, the uh, indigenous people actually were very hostile towards us as well, because they yeah. thought that we might be the ones that had uh, shot at them. Um and so I would often see my dad and the other guys running down from the bank into the lake, dive into the lake, uh, get behind the canoe and swim backwards using the canoe as a shield from the poison darts, swim backwards out to the house in the middle of this lake. And God had made this lake just perfect because the in the middle where our houses were, the darts couldn't reach us. Um, oh, and that, wow. And the Indians had tried to go all the way around the edge, you know, of all the different points trying to hit us and they couldn't. So once you were at the house, you knew you were safe. Um, yeah. But uh, just seeing uh, my dad and the other guys do this for, for so long and trying and over and over to just show that, hey, we want to be friends with you. Uh, yeah. One time they lobbed a dart up over the canoe and it hit uh, our coworker in the neck. And so oh my, gosh. my dad is right beside him and he pulls the dart out. And now he's bleeding in the water and you have prana in the water. <gasps> and so my dad's yelling to get in the boat because of the prana. And this oh other guy's yelling, gosh. I can't. The Indians are still shooting. Um, but they ended up getting back all the way out to the house. And my dad actually had thought that he was for sure hit that time as well. Um, but the first thing he said is, I've been hit. So we checked him over. He hadn't been hit. Our coworker who had been hit, his wife sucked a lot of the poison out and spit it out. Um, so he got real sick, but he didn't die. Um, oh and my the next gosh. time that uh, we went over on land, that they went over on land, uh, the indigenous people were just amazed that he wasn't dead. But um, uh, so just seeing that, um, it was just amazing to see their heart for, and passion to, to take the gospel no matter what the cost. Yeah. Um, and um, and actually, as we went along and as we became really good friends with the indigenous people, uh, I spent a lot of time hunting with them. And um, some of my friends had uh, passed away before we knew enough of the language and culture to share the gospel. And so uh, God really used that to burden my heart uh, oh, wow. for indigenous people and just for any unreached people that will never have a chance to hear unless somebody goes. Yeah. Oh, Jason, that's such a big deal. I, I'm so glad you said that. I was going to ask you, you know, what was it for you personally? I, I think that it's so compelling to watch your family, your parents, you know, people that you trust and you love to do to do a work like that, such a hard work um, to bring the gospel to the unreached. But then for you to still feel your own sense of, no, God's calling me here to not just my parents, but I want to be here because I'm devastated that my friends are without an eternal hope. Um, before they pass. And it's, that would have been so heartbreaking, especially considering the time you guys were trying to invest in the relationships. And, and you're right that you mentioned your, your mom, you know, standing, you know, at, on the house, watching your dad leave into the jungle thinking this could be the last time. I mean, it's such a costly ministry. It's such a costly life's work um, to count the cost. But for you to obviously declare that 
um, for God's glory, it was worth it. I mean, to risk your life, all these poisonous darts and danger. I mean, just this, uh, to have total resolve in your hearts that this is what your lives were were called to is incredible. And I'm, I'm really grateful for your family, Jason. Um, well, obviously being a boy in the jungle, there were adventures and you mentioned, you know, you didn't know any different. So it was fun for you to get to build a house and dive under the water and outrun piranhas and all these things. So describe to us, I mean, just the idea of like life in the jungle and then kind of the adventure and thrill, but like, but, but beyond that, just the grit of what it takes, do you think to endure through this type of indigenous work? Yeah, it's definitely not for everybody. There's a lot of bugs, and um, that's <laughs> yeah. probably the worst of bugs, you know, mosquitoes and ants and noceums and horseflies and stuff oh like that. Um, it's yeah, that a lot of people are scared <laughs> of the bigger things, you know, the snakes and the stuff, but those are more visible. It's easier to see. Um, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of we did have a lot of fun. Uh, I remember our house had you know stairs going down into the water and. Um, we would take baths in the lake and we'd play tag and run up the stairs and out and jump out the windows, you know, of our house. And, um, you know, we caught lots of fish and, um, you know, able to do a lot of things. Um, had some friends that wrestled in Anaconda, which then I decided later on, uh, to do as well. Um, oh my word. You know, so there's just, we had, we had all kinds of pets, you know, pet monkeys and deer and just, yeah. I had a, uh, yeah, I had a, uh, a jaguar rundi which uh what what is that been, it's like a cross between a, a jaguar and a black panther it's like a it's a small oh, right, cat right <laughs> the indigenous people actually found it as a baby and brought it uh to us but uh oh anyways um so just some incredible pets um you know just a, we had baby alligators that we would put little doll clothes on and swim around and stuff with no. <laughs> just crazy stuff yeah. <laughs> Because I had a sister and she wanted to dress them up. So anyways. So if you can't find uh, baby dolls, you find alligators. That's right. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby alligators. But um, That's right. Yes. But, you know, for my mom and dad, I mean, it was a lot of work to, you know, radio yeah. contact and uh, with the outside and, and trying to provide for the family. And storms would come in and, you know, sometimes rip our roof off and uh, we'd oh, fix wow. that. And yeah. uh, the indigenous people, you know, trying to become friends with them and um there's a lot of work um but uh yeah so after actually i begged my parents to let me go to another indigenous group even before i graduated high school but they said no you need to finish high school and then they convinced me to do a year of bible school which after a year i realized how little i knew so i did two years Hmm, um okay but um and And was that back in the states had you come back for for that schooling okay yeah, so that was back in the States. Um, I actually came back for my senior year of high school and uh, lived with my, my aunt and uncle. Um, and then my parents came back after that year. Wow, what a um, transition. So, yeah, that was, uh, that, was, uh, that was a pretty difficult transition going from, you know, um, that environment into a, uh, a school here in the U.S. So yeah. luckily I had my... I was going to school with my cousin who was the same age um, that I was. And so he was able to help me kind of adjust uh, to different clothing and introduce me to I was going to say, I mean, that. wearing <laughs> shoes, just things that you wouldn't have wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. There was sometimes I came out dressed for school and he's like, you aren't planning on riding in the same car with me to school, are you? And I'd be like, 
I think that's the plan, but uh, he's like, you need to go change. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Wow. But, well, you make um, a good point. I'm glad you you kind of spoke on that of, you know, this type of hard work and, and just the idea of enduring through jungle life. It may not be for everyone, and that really is okay. I, I wouldn't want people to hear this and think, well, if I'm not willing to go to the jungle, then maybe I'm not cut out for, you know, following a uh, uh, God or, you know, being a part of this mission. And I wouldn't want anyone to, to hear that as a takeaway or, or that that would be the expectation. So what kind of, I don't know, what kind of encouragement would you have or just insight into someone who wanted to identify and kind of distinguish in their lives, what might be indicators within them of, you know, it might be worth kind of investigating or, or surveying, you know, this type of tribal people group work, um, but also understanding that if that's not what you're feeling called to or excited about, then obviously there's more opportunity for you to obey God's mission. Yeah, for sure. Um, there are a lot of unreached people all over the world. And so, yeah. um, you know, there are groups, small groups of uh, unreached in the Amazon jungle still. Uh, but there are so many that are in uh, cities and, you know, hmm. uh, all, all yeah. across the world. So you could really, you know, if you don't like hot, humid, you could do cold, dry, you know, um, you can, <laughs> yeah. you, can, you know, and, uh, I think the Lord's okay with that, you know, if, if just saying, Hey, you know, I really can't stand the heat or I have a reaction to bugs or whatever it might be. Um, you know, God's made us all different and, uh, yeah. we can, uh, he, you know, if he's calling you then definitely take those steps forward. So, but yeah, we actually got connected with an indigenous group, uh, and, uh, started to con talk with them and uh, they actually shared with uh, God was kind of putting together a small team um, after I graduated high school uh, during Bible school and so uh, this tribal group uh, they actually were believers um, uh, and but they said hey we we think that uh, there's a group over here we might be related to them but we don't think it's fair that we have the gospel and they don't oh, wow. uh, can you help us uh, reach them and so Wow, wow. For the next several years, um, uh, I got, actually ended up getting married. And so our family and, and four other families went and uh, worked in partnership with them, which was fantastic. And um, uh, working together to reach another unreached group uh, in the Amazon yeah. with the gospel. So that was definitely one of the highlights of my life of just being able to teach them what we knew. Yeah. Uh, but then learning so much from them, you know, of uh, oh, yeah. living in the jungle and, and cooking over the fire. They helped my wife, you know, learn how to smoke meat. We didn't have a refrigerator or anything like that. And yeah. So, oh, uh, Jason, was, that's amazing. I, I'm so, I, wow. <laughs> I'm blown away because your family with just a few people were living and working among the Amazon when you were young. And to see you know, your family have to work so hard and not really have any help in terms of getting to know this tribal group. You didn't really have anyone teaching you how to navigate or do the research or do the field surveying or whatever it was um, to really know how to respect and and bless this this tribal group. And, and so for your family to endure through those years and then for your life to well, your family grew, you got married, you had your own children. And so then for you to see the support you had moving forward, working with others, I feel like God is so kind to 
I don't know, he's so kind to help you, your family to see the support and, and the growth and the momentum that came from even just your small faithfulness of enduring through these years. And then that grew to this time in your life and to see the momentum grow and the, the, this people group be so much more uh, interested. And so I feel um, excited to hear that. Thinking of other people's stories too, not being void that, you know, our small, well, not even like it was small. You guys were living on a lake avoiding poisonous darts, but uh, that the investment there is so worth it and God's glory is worth it. And and I, that's just exciting to me. What happened after y'all had been married and, and living and working among this group for a while? Yeah. So um, we had been working for a while uh, with them, and, which is, uh, really exciting for us because when my parents went to the field, there were no other like indigenous believers that they could work That's with. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, because of, you know, a number of different organizations that have put so much uh, time, effort, you know, blood, sweat, tears into reaching these groups. Uh, when, when I went, uh, when our family went, uh, we did have indigenous believers from some of these groups wow. that yeah. uh, organizations had worked with. And so, and they had actually caught the vision to, to, you know, carry on the gospel to these other, other unreached wow. people. So it was fantastic for us just to say, okay, Lord, what are you doing and how can we be a part of it? And then God connected us with them. Uh, with these believers and able to go and actually do ministry with them uh, was really, really exciting. Um, and then uh, I came down with, uh, well, I got really sick. And many doctors oh, wow. think it was uh, encephalitis. You get it from a mosquito. Um, it's when your brain swells. Um, oh, it's very word. hard to describe. Many, About 33% of people die. That, that uh, That's what I've heard that get it. Obviously, I didn't die, but I ended up... Uh, in and out of hospitals in, in Lima uh, and in different places uh, in the Mayo Clinic uh, here in the States. Um, and um, yeah, it was just a very, very difficult time um, for me. It's hard to explain. It's almost like there was a, if you had a fuse in your brain, somebody pulled that fuse and things don't quite line up. It just kind of throws off the, you know, oh, the connectors wow. in the brain. Um, so I had gone from very healthy, very strong, you know, traveling around, living in the jungle to in bed and um, oh excruciating gosh. head pain. And uh, my world had been turned upside down. So, um, you know, and that's when I think Satan loves to get in there, throw these little thoughts. And, you know, mm -hmm. I started thinking, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. How could a God of love allow this to happen to me? Wow. And, um, you know, I was thinking I have always given the Lord 110% and this is what I get, you know. So those little thoughts start to come in and uh, it's easy to question your faith during that time and, um, you know, start thinking, well, maybe this Christianity thing is just a big joke, um, you know, just some sort of game. Um, and I was at the point really of, okay, if there's something else worth living for or if my faith in God was not real. I was ready to kind of drop it all and walk away. Um, but I found that if I took God uh, completely out of the picture, uh, there was nothing worth living for. Um, and it was during that really dark time, um, God used people, you know, to encourage me, to draw me back to himself. Um, my mom, um, she said, you know, Jason, um, God doesn't waste pain. Uh, she said, there's no greater way to honor and glorify God than to completely trust him 
even when we don't understand his plan. Yeah. Um, and my dad was also taken hostage. He became a pilot and was taken hostage for 33 days uh, by a terrorist group in, in oh South America. Oh, um, wow. And he said, the, you know, the verse that helped him um, when he was taken hostage was Isaiah 26.3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts us in thee. And um, my mother-in-law also flew down from Canada. To, to be with me during that time and, and my wife and um, uh, you know, they were workers in a different country. Uh, they had um, four kids and their youngest got really sick. And um, so they called for emergency flight. They were in a remote area and the plane came, took their son who was about three years old at the time out to town and he died uh, on the way to the hospital. Oh, um, yeah. And um, so the, the people that they were working with, thought that for sure they would go back to the U.S. and they would not continue. But they buried uh, my wife's brother there in that country, uh. um, flew back to the people they were working with. And the people said, you know what, if since you've come back to be with us, uh, we know that you have an important message to tell us. And so wow. from that point forward, they really started to listen to the teachings and stuff. But uh, my mother-in-law said that um, the number one thought that helped her uh, after they lost their child uh, was the Lord could return at any moment. So this pain may only be for today. And um, I was dealing with excruciating head pain and that uh, really helped as well. Um, and family and friends, you know, shared a lot of verses. Um, probably the verse that had the biggest impact on me was Luke 22, 31 and 32. Um, there the Lord's talking to Simon and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Man, it was during that time that I just felt like Satan wanted me, uh, like my faith was being tested right to the limit. And to think that Jesus was praying that my faith would not fail. Uh, that was just really big, uh, just a just hit me really hard um, and really strengthened my faith. Um, so, yeah, it was an incredibly uh, difficult time. I still, for about almost 10 years, I had constant head pain. Um, oh, wow. And it's just very difficult to learn to live with that. I know a lot of people do. Um, now it's only about 30 to 40% of the time, which I'm very thankful for. So, Oh, Jason, I don't really know much of what to say other than, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I feel just so encouraged. You know, I'm I'm picturing it like this, where at the beginning of this episode, you were sharing about how there was so much endurance required to endure through life in the Amazon, and and your reliance on God was so real, and it was so gritty. And I'm thinking of your mom standing there. Just I have all these scenes in my head of how you were trusting God for your, just your daily bread. And then even when you were in a position where you felt so powerless or you felt like this was all out of your hands and what was God doing and this isn't fair and uh, I'm, in, I'm in actual so much pain, um, the narrative is the exact same, that you were in still a, a constant reliance on God and all those people that rallied around you to remind you and bless you. Uh, that's really nourishing, I feel like, to, to my heart to hear that that is the type of life that... 
um, is invested in the Lord. And that's, that is how kind he is to his people to walk and endure with them. So thank you for sharing that. And even the scripture that was spoken over you. I mean, that's, it's so specific and so um, meaningful. You had mentioned when you and your wife had originally moved to that tribe, that, that new group to, um, when you guys were going to work together now, that God was inviting you into what he was already doing. You weren't starting something new. And that's kind of a game changer, I feel like, not only for, you know, just this this narrative of, you know, our, our podcast here, but in general. That's a big deal because I wouldn't want anyone to feel like they are just, you know, God's people being reached is dependent on themselves. Like if they don't do it, it won't happen. Um, God's glory is this infinite, long lasting rock and and for us to just join what God's already doing is a big deal even for our own reliance knowing that gosh there's nothing that on our own what we would even be um that would be as lasting as God's glory is for for himself and so I think for us to just join in that is powerful and for your family to be blessed by that I think is a big deal too um Wow, Jason, living in the Amazon and then encephalitis, uh, chronic pain, but yet your your faith is steadfast. So, uh, bless you, brother. Thank you. Well, it's uh, definitely a journey. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, my dream was to become friends with an unreached indigenous group, learn their language, you know, share the gospel with them. But uh, God had other plans, and I'm yeah. thankful that we partnered with Indigenous believers um, as they can carry on the work. That's um, right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, life does not always turn out the way we want or the way we thought it would. No. And um, I had to kind of let go of that dream and trust that you know God's plan is best, even if I don't understand it, if I don't like it. Um, you know, I'm sure Stephen in Acts when he was being stoned, you know didn't see that as a great plan yeah. um but he trusted in god's plan and said you know lord don't charge them with this sin and you look at the book of hebrews uh chapter 11 you know the faith chapter where it talks about abraham isaac jacob and joseph and all them you know god says i don't have time to tell you about all of these people but these are the ones that in good times and bad times they trusted and worshiped me yeah. and so um you know, it's been a journey. It's been difficult, uh, but I figured um, we have to trust God's plan uh, and trust that it is sovereign. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it's not easy to get to that point. And it's and I don't always. I, I sometimes even go to like, okay, why me? And, you know, you get that selfishness, mm-hmm. yeah. and you're like, why me? But then again, you know, we are not immune from the the bad things of this world. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would just say, you know, 1987, we had, there were, what, 17,000 unreached people groups, and now there's, or or in, um, I think in 2009, there was like 9,000, and now there's like 6,000, so we're getting there. Yeah. Uh, there's still incredible challenges God. in furthering God's kingdom uh, all over the world, not just, you know, not just the Amazon, there's all over, uh, there's places that uh, need people to go, and so... Uh, we're getting there. Let's not give up. Um, And even with the whole COVID thing, it's made it a little more difficult for now. Mm -hmm. But God's plan is still sovereign, is still being played out. And um, he wants to use each person uh, in that plan. So, yeah, that's right. I I wouldn't want anyone to hear um, 
your story and think that because that requires so much endurance, well, I'm not a strong, you know, person that can endure. So how could my story sound anything like that? And it might not, but just the, but, but what you mentioned though, of God's plan not being rocked though, and, and us not being immune to the harder things of life. Uh, but we can still be so well kept, um, by God as we endure and walk with him. And so I think the question I'm asking myself, and then I'd, I'd ask everyone is that, you know, what am I willing to endure right now so that I can continue to endure later to whatever God calls me to? And so I, I wouldn't think that our lives are just meant to endure um, with God when we are in a jungle or when we're in a hospital bed or just these things that sound so challenging to our, you know, our bodies, our, our mortal bodies. And so um, just asking ourselves those questions now of, of kind of those indicators of our faith and, and gosh, how are we willing to trust God for that next step, knowing that um, we would be perfectly kept um, from him either here or in glory. And so I'm deeply encouraged by your story, Jason. Uh, what is it that you do now? Yeah, so right now, um, you know, I figured if I can't go and be overseas, then I will help others get there. And right, so I work as yeah. a candidate coach. Um, and so helping people that are interested in missions, um, help them take that next step, okay. um, get to know pioneers, um, get to explore, uh, which is our orientation program. And so, yeah, I, I love uh, connecting with people, uh, hearing their story and uh, just encouraging them, you know, along the path uh, to pursue God's calling. If that's where, you know, if God's calling you, then you don't want to look back in a at the end of your life and 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 wonder what if you know Mm, you would have followed his leading and guiding Um, so if he's leading and guiding you if you feel that nudge to serve overseas take those steps forward and he'll open and close the door if he don't want you there he'll close the door Um, but if he wants you there you don't want to miss out on what he has and being part of that so gosh if that's not an invitation i don't know what is that was good. <laughs> I feel like I'd, I'd respond to that in a heartbeat. Um, wow. Jason, your faithfulness is something worth noting, and I, I want to thank you for that. And I'm just encouraged to know that, um, gosh, your story is being shared, and, and people can really glean from your experience of uh, following the Lord and enduring um, here and there all over. So, um, gosh, if people want to hear more about what life looks like in, um, working among tribal people, is there anywhere they can go to learn more or just get, get more information about it or or what could they do for some kind of next step for that? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can go to, uh, go at pioneers.org, um, and fill out the start form there. And, um, We'll have people in touch with you, and then um, even maybe myself will connect with you hey, and uh, help you through that process. Get to that, hear from Jason himself. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would filling out that start form like commit anyone to anything, or is it kind of just like a hey, I have a question, can I ask someone, or what? What is what's the relationship of that? Yeah, I think there's an info spot where you can just ask some brief questions if you have just some initial questions. The start form is like, okay, yeah, you want to take the next step and really connect with somebody to hear more about what it might look like to serve overseas. So, okay, um, okay. But yeah, there's uh, some gr- amazing people that uh, have served overseas as well that are ready to answer any questions you might have. And um, so, yeah, I would say take that step, 
you know, move forward and uh, see what the Lord does. Yeah. And even if it's not towards Amazon jungle work, still Mm -hmm. taking that next step of obedience, knowing that God, there are so many places where God's glory is unknown. And so um, to consider wherever God may send you um, in faith. So. Yeah, we work in over 100 countries, so there's a lot of opportunities. And oh, we yeah. get constant yeah. requests for more help. Yeah. Um, so we are praying daily for more laborers. So. Great. Well, we'll join you in that prayer. Jason, thank you so much for your time and your story today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks for tuning in to Jason's story. Be sure to rate and review us to help others find the Relentless Pursuit podcast. Also, did you know you can text us at Pioneers? Send us a text at 407-917-8729 and talk with a real person. It's a secure and easy way to connect with us. You can also chat with us online at relentlesspursuitpodcast.org or pioneers.org.